So here's Jesus in this passage saying, take heed to yourself. Why would it be hard for a brother to go and rebuke another brother? Why would that be hard? Why is it hard for us? It's because we know the minute we open our mouth, we're going to find resistance. And God is saying, that's not the way it's supposed to be between two brothers. He's talking about Christians here. He's saying, if somebody's come to you and they offer you something that's been an offense between the two of you, you should not be offended. Receive the instruction, receive the guidance, and don't be angry. You see, he's telling us something that's so against our nature, but we don't have our own nature anymore. We have his. And he's saying, make yourself that an easy person to whom the rebuke can come. He says, if he repents, if he changes his mind, forgive him. And even if he does it seven times. Verse 5. The disciples have just heard something here that is so troubling to them. All they know how to say to Jesus is that if we're going to be that kind of person, if we're going to be the kind of person that doesn't get offended, if we're going to be the kind of person that doesn't offend others, if we're going to be the kind of person that can receive a rebuke or that we can properly give it so that somebody comes to repentance, if we're going to do that, we need our faith increased. And I know Jesus has to be shaking his head saying, oh my goodness, are they ever going to get it? What have they not yet realized? Their faith does nothing. Why does Jesus use such an outlandish illustration? He says, if you have the faith in the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, remove yourself and cast it into the sea and it will have to obey. Well, they're saying, I want a faith big enough to do that. I want a faith big enough to live that kind of life. And I want a faith big enough to move that, that mulberry tree and cast it into the sea. And Jesus is saying, you do not get it. Your faith is not big enough. Take your eyes off the tree. Put your eyes where they're supposed to be. Put your eyes on a person who is big enough to pull that tree up and throw it into the sea. Why does Jesus say that it only takes the faith the size of a, of, of a mustard seed? He's saying because it's not about how big your faith is to do a task. It's about how big your faith is looking into the face of Jesus, looking into the face of God, asking him in, in faith, believing that he's big enough to do it. Not you. You're not big enough. Your faith is not big enough. Your faith is not proportional. Your faith is designed to be 100% in him, recognizing that he's the only one who can pull up the mulberry tree and cast it into the sea. And we're still having the same problem today. We somehow think that our faith needs to be large to do great things. No, our faith has to be real in the trusting and the confidence that God is big enough to do those things. It's about a person. He says, increase our faith to be people who aren't offended and who don't offend others. We have this, especially in the modern church, we have kind of removed the possibility that great miracles are ever going to happen again. That's truly sad that we've done that. I can take you places, show you things that, will, that might help you at least raise a question mark that maybe God still does that. Because he does. He still performs the same miracles today that he did back in these scriptures and people are healed exactly the same way. But it's so odd to me that we, have, uh, that we have removed, I think, the greatest miracle that God has ever done. You see, God was always about the healing and restoration of people. And I could point several places and I could look at, at many different things, but I happen to have an, an object lesson sitting right in front of me. Billy's life is one that, in some parts of her life, I know very well because we, we grew up together. Families knew each other. We knew each other from the time that we were a little bitty. I mean, we, we knew each other. If I could hold up no other miracle 
so that you can see the majesty of what God does. From someone being healed from blindness, why would I ever count that to be a greater miracle than the miracle of a restored relationship that I see right here? You see, this is the greatest miracle that God does. He restores people. And we discount it, and he does it. Over and over and over, I was thinking about this today. Someone sent me a text message, and my mind started going through the number of people that I could just quickly name. Some of them go to church here. Some of them don't. Some have come from as far as Dallas and Fort Worth. And I've had the opportunity to watch their lives be transformed and restored because of what God did. And it's miraculous. You cannot explain it outside of what God does. And somehow we've minimized that. Somehow we've made it less than what uh, it was ever intended to be. The roots of a mulberry tree, by the way, are so deep that, and this is not really a sycamore, it was a mulberry, more of our mulberry tree, that the roots would grow so deep that those things could stand for as long as 600 years. They could be ancient trees. Let's go on to verse 7. After this increase our faith, gives this illustration about the mustard seed. He then says, But which of you, having a servant, plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by when he comes from the field, Go and sit down to meat, and will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did those things that were commanded him? I don't believe so. This one is an odd, odd passage. And very easy to stumble over. When it says we are unprofitable servants, this is the kind of attitude that Jesus is speaking about. Really, it's not false humility. It's not the kind of attitude that says I'm not good at anything and belittles ourselves. But it is an admission that we can do nothing outside of God. Now think about that. Jesus said it. Matter of fact, he tells us in John chapter 5 and John chapter 15, I believe it is, when he talks about the vine and abiding in the vine, and that's how we produce fruit. He tells us, he says, and by the way, without me, you can do nothing. So it gets real clear that our capacity to function in any way that's pleasing to him is zero without him. So how much gratitude, how much perspective should that create? Because what Jesus is trying to do, he's trying to create in their mind an understanding and saying, what situation would ever require that the master set the servant down and serve him? What situation would ever be be created where you created an obligation from God toward you? So much of the Christian church today has a mindset that God owes them something. I will assure you by this parable and by this story, God owes you nothing. He will deliver every promise because of him. He will do everything because of his heart. He will do everything because of his nature. But most Christians have some form in their mindset that because I was good, because I was faithful, because of this or because of that, then God owes me something. And all he's saying is, what did you just do? You said, I'm going to sit down and let God serve me. What situation in the reality of who we are in the relationship to him, would that ever be true? Never. He says that would never occur. I'm probably going to overstate this, but I don't know how much. So you can make the adjustment. Most Christian doctrine today taught within the church is doctrine that has been greatly adjusted. 
in many, many terms because when, when we read stories like Ananias and Sapphira coming in, selling a piece of property, coming in and lying to God, and, and, and Peter says, why are you doing this? Why are you lying to God? And immediately Ananias is struck down. He dies there. They carry him off and they bury him. Three hours later, Sapphira comes in, makes the same claim, and, and Peter says to her, why are you lying to God? Why are you t- lying to the Holy Spirit? And she dies, they go out and bury her. What do we do with those kind of stories? We remove the truth of them, dismiss them, count them as irrelevant, and believing that us lying to God about who we are and about our commitment to him and being sold out to him and all that stuff doesn't, that God doesn't mind, that somehow that's strangely covered by grace? No. Jesus is saying, these are the simple things that I've commanded you to do. This isn't the above and beyond. This is the simple stuff I've commanded you to do. We, we, we minimize healing. We don't talk about forgiveness. We sure don't talk about repentance. Many, many things of, of the Christian church have been altered and amended for some reason. The number one reason that we adjust doctrine is because of disappointment in God. The number one reason we adjust what we believe is because of disappointment in God. Why don't we believe in miracles anymore? Anybody sick in their family? crisis in her family and prayed that God would do something and he didn't, what did we do with that? We adjusted our doctrine and came to the conclusion that maybe God doesn't work that way anymore. Disappointment has, has caused us to improve it. Anything that we teach, we, we should do to it what scientists do to it. When scientists want to test a hypothesis, they run the, that hypothesis out to the extremes to see if they're still true to put something in extreme heat or extreme cold and see if the consistency stays the same. If I could run this hypothesis out and say, is it really Jesus? Is it really disappointment? How full would this building be tonight if everything you had ever asked God, he did? Oh, it'd be full. Every time you asked that God would heal somebody, they were. Every time you needed money, he gave it. I guarantee I could fill this place up with a God like that. That happened in... Bruce Almighty, you remember he was giving it, it just said yes to everybody? And it created chaos, but he, I mean, he was popular for a while. It was, everybody was getting a little bit of everything that they wanted. You see, we could follow a God who would give us what we want because we would never face disappointment. When you, find, when you face disappointment with God, you, you have to mentally and emotionally make some kind of an adjustment. And say, so I guess he doesn't heal anymore. I guess he doesn't restore anymore. And so much of our doctrine within church has been minimized because of disappointment. That God didn't act the way we wanted him to act. He didn't behave the way we wanted and he didn't give what we wanted him to give. He didn't heal when we wanted him to heal. Because what's it, what does it say in the Bible? Ask anything in my name and what? I'll do it. How have we adjusted that? We read those scriptures, with, you know, with God nothing is impossible. We, but I, I didn't work for me. We adjusted those disappointments. Jesus is trying to say here, I want, I want you to understand something. Our expectation of the Father as our master will never be disappointed as long as we stay in this position. How does it ever change? It's when we elevate ourselves in the story and expect in some form or fashion that God should serve us. That's the only way disappointment can come. Think about that. It's the only way disappointment can come. It's when we expect God to serve us according to our will, our expectations, and disappointment comes. So it, it says, I have put God in a position that he's supposed to serve me. And Jesus is saying that will never happen. But we do it all the time. That's not easy to process, but that's profoundly 
interestingly true that the only way that disappointment can come is if God owes me and, and I've asked him to perform and serve me according to my desire. That's the way we disappoint each other. I have an expectation or desire and you don't meet it. I'm disappointed in you. I adjust my thoughts about you. You're not as good a friend as I thought you were. You're not as close to me as that you don't love me the way I thought you loved me. All because we had an expectation. Somebody didn't deliver. We adjusted our thoughts. We do it to God all the time. And Jesus is saying very clearly to these disciples, I want you to hear me. What master would ever do that? What servant should ever expect it? And he says, I'm even just talking about the basic things I've commanded you to do. When would a servant ever think that a master has become obligated simply because I've done what the master said? Disappointment in, in buildings like this is largely why they sit empty. I thought God would. He didn't. I had an expectation. He didn't deliver. So I've adjusted my thoughts about him. Adjusting that thought has caused me to act differently, to behave differently. And Jesus is saying, I'm not giving you even one instance where this would not be true. That's how absolute he was and what he was trying to tell us. That's why we have to even be so careful when someone asks, would you pray for me? If I don't seek next, what's going to come out of my mouth in prayer is just my thoughts. But if I seek him, then I speak his will. I speak in agreement to him. And I don't speak my thoughts or my desires or my expression at all. I speak the will of the Father. And what that does, it releases authority for something profound to happen. But if we just pray when somebody asks us to with no seeking, then we shouldn't be surprised that we're disappointed. It's, it's always, it was, it, was, it was Jesus. I mean, when I draw this diagram, it still shocks people. You know, I, I draw the body soul, body, soul, and spirit, and I put Jesus over here, and he looks across, and he sees the blind man. He sees the need. And recognizing that Jesus never once went across there and met that need. Not even a single time. And that's shocking to people because that's all the Bible, the New Testament, and those Gospels is about. Jesus sees the need, goes and meets it. No, he doesn't. He sees the need, and he has to seek the Father. Because without the Father, he can do nothing. He sees it, and he has to seek. He has to come before the Father. His Father shows him or says something. Jesus, in obedience, does exactly what he sees or, or repeats exactly what he heard. When he does that obedience, the Father, not Jesus, releases something supernatural and meets the need. I wanted so badly to go back to that lady at that convenience store the next day and say, would you mind telling me your story? Because it would, I'd love to see what God was doing. And God says, no, that's, not, that's my story. It's not yours. If you go back and find it, you're, you're seeking something that belongs to me. So I wouldn't go back. But I sure wanted to because I'm sure curious what the story was. That's the reality of engaging the life of people around you. Yeah, I wanted to get to Austin and I wanted that flight to be over. And it was very strange to slow everything down and say, okay, God, is there anybody on here whose heart is ready so that I can release something that will be life-changing? He said, no. But that's pretty odd because most of the time he would show me someone, some situation. Well, I'll take this back. On the first flight when I was going from Lubbock to, to Dallas, I, I forgot about this. I did the same thing. I was talking, the, the, what I saw about on the no was from Dallas to Austin. I could see the back of some man's head sitting in front of me. And God said, pray for him. I didn't even know what to pray for. But all I could do was to say, God, whatever the situation is that you see, by this prayer, I ask you to release something supernatural into his life. I don't even know what it was. 
I didn't see him again. He, when he got, he just, when he left, I didn't even look up. It creates an exciting life to just say, God, I'm in the midst of these people. Make me a part of their story. Not by my will, but by yours. Just let him show you. And we do strange things. And people get amazingly blessed. Because, not because we were generous, but because we were obedient.